morning, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, and then I'll tell you what the Lord has laid on our hearts in the meeting. John chapter number 6 and verse 35, the word of the Lord says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Look down at verse 48, the scripture says, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread that cometh down from heaven. When he says this, he speaks of himself. This is the bread that cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How shall this man, or how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him." As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me shall live by me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing with us while we read the word of the Lord. I want to talk with you this morning about Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And we want to talk about that this morning as the subject for our message. Not only then where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, but seven occasions in the book of John, Jesus specifically claims a title. He says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We'll talk more about those others later on, but this morning we're talking specifically about I am the bread of life. Now when Jesus claims this title here, in each of these occasions, in fact, when Jesus claims a title, I am. In this case, the bread of life. He stakes the claim to divinity. He relates truths to the Jewish persons who were listening, and it is of no accident that he uses the words, I am. Whenever he does this, these are more than just words to start a sentence. This is not just his favorite uh, preposition and favorite verb. It is that he is making a statement of his divinity unto them. You'll remember these indicators that the Lord had used were uniquely understood by the Jews of his time. When Moses saw the bush of fire that would not be consumed in the book of Exodus in chapter 3, and he heard the call to return to Egypt and bring God's people out, Moses asked for an identity of the God who was calling him, of an indicator of who had sent him unto unto Pharaoh, an indicator of who had sent him unto the house of Egypt. Now there's a problem Moses has here. He's far too Egyptian to be Hebrew, and he's far too Hebrew to be Egyptian. And on top of that, he spent 40 years with his father-in-law, a family he has, he has married into who are shepherds, and the shepherds are an abomination unto the Egyptians. And he left out of town, 
at enmity with everybody in town. And he needs some calling card, some sort of indicator, some validating credential to get the attention of the people when he gets back to Egypt. And he says, when I go and tell them that the Lord has sent me unto them, said, and they ask me, what is his name? What am I going to tell them? And the Lord says, you go tell them that I am that I am has sent you. Tell them I am has sent you unto, unto them. The I am, the self-existent one. That word I am is Yahweh, the Jehovah God. When Jesus says unto them, I am, He is connecting Himself with this title of Jehovah God. To Yahweh, I am the bread of life. Yahweh, the bread of life. I am. He is connecting Himself to God the Father. And thereby claiming not only to be the Son of God, but to be God the Son. Jesus is more than a good man. He is the Son of God. Jesus is more than one who is called out from among men. He is God the Son. And every time He says, I am, He is staking claim to His divinity. I'm God. Matter of fact, this world that is filled with doubters and skeptics will say that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. But seven occasions in the book of John, He says, I am. He identifies Himself with the I am. Yahweh, Jehovah. Jehovah, the bread of life. Speaking of Himself. And He makes no bones about it. He makes no uh, no ambiguity in His statements. I am the bread of life. In that the book of John begins with a man who the Bible says was sent from God, whose name was John. That's the way the book of John begins. And it's not John that is writing the book. It's John the Baptist. A man sent from God, whose name was John, who was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That light, that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And there's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. We're not preaching about the light. But they come to John and ask him, are you the, are you the Messiah? Are you the one to come? And John says, I am not. Three times in the first chapter of the book of John, John the Baptist says, I am not. But when Jesus came, he didn't say, I am not. He said, I am. When John the Baptist was saying, I am not, he said, there is one that's coming behind me who was preferred before me. Whose shoe latch it? I am not worthy to unloose. He said, he will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And when they asked Jesus who you are, he said, I am. He said things like John 8 and 23, and he said unto them, ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I say therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, then you shall die in your sins. No ambiguity, no of my friend, failure of clarity. Here he is claiming to be the Son of God. John chapter 8 verse 28, Jesus said unto them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know that I am He. He's declaring Himself who He is. John 13 and 13, Jesus said, you call me Master and Lord and you say well for so I am. I am the bread of life. He said in John chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. He said before there was an Abraham, I was already the I am. I was before Abraham, I am before Abraham. I will be the I am after Abraham. He is 
the eternal self-existent one. Jesus was not uh, created in the uh, uh, manger in Bethlehem, in Bethlehem, Judah. Whenever He was born, He entered into this world, but He has always been with God in eternity past. He is God the Son and the Son of God. He is the I Am. We worship Jesus this morning, not only as the Son of God, but as God the Son. He is worthy of our worship. If God, Jesus is not God, if Jesus is not deity, if Jesus is not just as much a part of the Godhead as is the Father, then He is not worthy of our worship. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. And yet we worship Jesus because Jesus is God the Son. He is God as surely as the Father is God. And He says it to us seven times in the book of John, I am. I am. This morning, I am the bread of life. That is our text. The bread of life. What does Jesus mean when He says unto us these words, I am the bread of life? What is the significance of this? I can't cover it all. I'm sure I will not exhaust this. But let me just sort of get your mind stirring this morning concerning His statement, I am the bread of life. When He says, I am the bread of life, this would have been understood by the people of that day. For bread is a common food. It is commonality. Jesus begins to show Himself common among the people. Every socioeconomic class has bread. Some bread was better than others. Some bread is fresher than others. Some bread is more desirable than others, better taste than others. But everybody eats bread. Even a prisoner, if you were a prisoner in this day, if you were one that was locked up in jail and they came to feed you, they would feed you the cheapest thing that they could feed you and keep you alive. But that meant that you would get to eat bread. Even a jailbird had bread. Even a prisoner, even a slave had bread. But then again, if you were the richest man in town, you had the finest of all things. You fared sumptuously every day. You also ate bread. Commonality, commonality. I'm saying, friend, Jesus is the link between every human being. This morning you may have one interest and I may have another. You may have one background and I may have another. You may have one particular hobby and I may have another. But when it comes down to the thing that is most important in life, Jesus is what is common. Jesus is what we hold together. His blood has made us one. The commonality of Christ. Jesus said, I came preaching unto you that common gospel. Not that the gospel is common, ordinary, mundane, and not special, but that it is shared among us. That we all have a need of the gospel. Oh, my friend, this bread was the least expensive and most common way to fill the need and to nourish the natural man. Everybody, listen, could afford a little bit of bread. Everybody could have a morsel of bread. And no matter how rich you were, you still needed a morsel of bread. Does not matter how poor you are this morning, Jesus is available to you. Does not matter how rich you are this morning, you still have a need of the Lord Jesus Christ. Socioeconomic class needs the bread of life. This is the only way you can eat and live. This is the only way that you can have eternal life. This is the only solution for your soul. I am the bread of life. It's common. 
common. And then not only does Jesus say I'm the bread of life because it's common, but He says it because bread is crucial. And my friend, in today's world we are warned to reduce our bread intake. Y'all don't eat too much bread. Now when I was a boy, I'd sit down at the table. I was my great-grandma who lived through the Depression days, and she didn't think like that. You'd sit down at the table and start to eat, and maybe she would have salmon on the table, fried salmon patties. I don't mean grilled salmon on the grill. I mean canned salmon fried in good old grease. And uh, I'm about been ready to put in a biscuit with some uh, sorghum syrup. Hallelujah. And uh, she'd have some sort of meat on the table like that, you know, or maybe it was a squirrel we'd killed, a rabbit or whatever she'd be. It was wonderful. She, if you kill them, she would skin it, clean it, and cook it and get it ready for you. And then you could eat it. So you got all the good part, the hunting and the eating, and she did all the hard part in between. But when you sit down at the table while you're eating everything else, I'm umpires and say, now you better be sure to eat some bread with that. You better be sure to eat some bread with that. You might ought to eat a little more bread. Get you another biscuit. You know what it was? She knew you had to fill up on something, and she did not have the means to fill you up with the more expensive things that were on the table. But she knew she could fill your belly up with bread. She knew if you'd eat enough of them biscuits, that your belly wouldn't start growling before lunchtime while you're out in the field working. That bread was crucial. We're told in today's world to reduce our bread intake, but that's because we're blessed to have too much. That is because most people today are not physically active enough to eat very much bread. But in the day of Christ, people were primarily looking for the next meal. The average person labored so hard for their living. How my friend that they needed a large amount of carbs to fuel their bodies. How the man physically exerting himself was not on a low carb diet. He, my friend, was not on the keto plan or the South Beach plan or the Atkins diet. He was in the business of putting all the carbs he could in his body because he was going to need the energy for the labor of his hand. And Jesus told them, though you needed bread, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded forth out of the mouth of God. By the way, what is that word? John answers the question for us in John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. If that's not enough to tell you the Word is Jesus, in verse 14 of John 1 said, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. Jesus is the Word. And the Word, this living Word, this living bread, is more important than your next meal. More important than us getting out of church in time for you to meet the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the First Baptists down to the restaurant. It's for you to feed your soul this morning. The bread of life is more important than the bread of the body. The bread of life is more important than the meals of this world. It's more important than your next drink. More important than your next food. Jesus is the thing that really matters. Feed the soul. Feed the inner man. Feed that man on the inside. And you'll have to feed him with the bread of life. And that is the Lord Jesus.
Jesus Himself. It's crucial. It is crucial. Every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, it is that bread is common. It is that bread is crucial. It is that bread is communal. There is fellowship in breaking of bread. There is something shared. There is something common. There is something that brings people together. And it causes us to see our likeness in the breaking of bread. When people got saved in the book of Acts, all of them that were converted, the Scripture says they continued together in breaking of bread and in prayers. And they had all things common. Now, they didn't really have all things common, but they had all things that mattered common is what that means. And what really mattered was this fellowship of breaking of bread. There's something that causes people, when you sit down at the dinner table, to realize that we're not really all that different. Now, if we went out to the golf course this afternoon, we would think we were all very different. Some of y'all hold, would hold the club by the wrong end. Amen. I mean, we'd figure out that we were very different. If we went out to the shooting range this afternoon, some of y'all with a gun in your hand, I'd run the other direction. Amen. I mean, I'd be afraid. We'd figure out we were very, very different. If for my friend, we went down to, I went down to the learning center and all began to take a certain aptitude test. We'd realize that one may have great creativity, creative abilities, and another was wired in such a way that his mind was focused on science and mathematics. After we'd figure out we were very different, take you down there to the farm and begin to try to figure out how to take care of animals or plow fields. We'd learn how different we are. But gather that whole crowd together and put you at a table and put food in front of us and we'll find out we're really not all that different. This, there is a communal aspect. We begin to connect, to fellowship, to relate around the bread. That is one reason why we're here this morning. Because we have come to fellowship around the bread of life. We have come for God to feed our souls with the bread of heaven. I've come for the same purpose you've come for. Both of us have come in the will of God. I've come to eat of the bread of heaven and so have you. I've come to worship the Lord and so have you. I've come to glorify the Lord and so have you. I've come to be fed from heaven and so have you. If we've come for the right purpose, we've all come for the same purpose. And that Jesus would have them realize that we're going to fellowship. But not only are we going to fellowship and commune with one another, but we're going to commune with Christ. He said, eat my bread, eat my body, and drink my blood. Does that remind anybody of a ceremony we have around here every now and again? Where it comes time and I call all the ordained men to come up front. And we begin to pass out the bread and the cup. That reminds us of the Lord's Supper. And how He said, take this as He broke His roll, broke that bread, and He passed it around the table. And He said, take and eat, for this is my body which is given for you. And now they asked Him, said, how are we going to eat your flesh? And they didn't understand how they would eat His flesh. Said, this man wants us to eat His body. And Jesus said, you will have to eat my body. And they didn't understand. By the end of the chapter, they're all leaving Him saying, we can't eat His body. And we will not drink His blood. And Jesus is saying, you'll have no part in me. It's not that He wanted them to come up, become a bunch of cannibalistic savages and to devour His body. It was not because He wanted them to put Him on a roasting my friend the rail and run over fire like you have a pig roast. That's not got anything to do with it at all. 
all. He wanted them to receive His broken body. The sacrifice that He would make at Calvary. Trusting in His sin blood. The sacrifice He would make at Calvary. You will have nothing to do with Jesus if you'll not accept what Jesus did at Calvary. You can believe in philosopher Jesus, but that will not save you. You can believe in theological Jesus, but that will not save you. You can believe in Instagram Jesus, you know, the one that fits on a meme. That says something like, too blessed to be stressed. Or, I say, the devil, watch out. I, me and Jesus has got this today. I'm not completely opposed to that. But if that's the only Jesus you believe in, you don't have much. How you can believe in Joel Osteen Jesus? How you don't have much? But if you believe in the Jesus of the Bible, you'll receive that Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. Was buried and on the third day rose again according to the Scriptures. And when you receive Him, you'll receive of His broken body and of His shed blood. And it is not in the natural man, but it is by faith that you receive the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. And if you will not eat of His body and drink of His blood, you can have no part with Him. And that's where we fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, this again comes by faith. When you accept the sacrifice of Christ, you're eating the bread of heaven, the broken body of Jesus. Furthermore, you would expect, if you are receiving of the body of Jesus that's given on the cross for you, if you are receiving of the blood of Jesus that is shed at Calvary for you, then you're going to share in Christ's experience. Now, I want everybody to hear this part. If you're not careful, you'll miss this. And this is a part that most preachers are not going to tell you about. And most of the world is not paying attention to. But when Jesus died on the cross and suffered for us, and we receive His broken body and His shed blood, that is, we are accepting the fact that we may have to go through some of the same experiences He went through. Being a child of God is not about unicorns and sunshine. And my friend, it's not all lighthearted, easygoing, health and wealth, trouble free. And my friend, it's not all blue skies and good times. But it is a suffering way. If Jesus suffered and He is our Lord, then what makes us think that we are any greater than our Lord? If you'll receive the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus in your life, you also will face some days of suffering. You also will face some days of difficulty. Hear me, young people, in the generation you're growing up in, where Bernie Sanders and uh, the media and most of religion acts like you're never supposed to have a hard time. Life is full of hard times. And just because you're having a hard time doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. And it doesn't mean anybody else has done anything wrong. It just means you're still alive. And instead of complaining about hard times, you ought to praise God you're still alive. Amen. And my friend, being a child of God does not exempt you from suffering. It guarantees your suffering. You will face some days of difficulty. And Jesus, you're not any greater than Jesus. And when Jesus was in the public eye, they mocked Him. They made fun of Him. They laughed at Him. And He did not fit in. What makes you think you're supposed to go down to the job site and nobody ever says anything difficult to you? What makes you think you're supposed to live through life? Nobody ever make a mockery out of you. Nobody ever laugh at you. No one ever sneer at you. And what makes you think you're supposed to be exempt? Jesus knew hunger. He knew thirst. He knew physical pain. He knew sickness. He knew what it was for His best 
he wants to pray and God the Father refused to hear on the cross in his greatest time of suffering he said my God my God why hast thou forsaken me it was not because the Father didn't like Jesus anymore and it's not because he was mad at Jesus it was the will of God that he would suffer and then that God would raise him up again on the third day and if you go through hard times as a child of God it is not that you're doing something wrong but it is simply the communal nature taking of the bread and fellowshipping with Jesus and if you'll live for God not only will you share in his victories you'll also share in his sufferings everything won't always be good but hear me how you will never suffer alone you'll never suffer by yourself while you are in chains there is one in fellowship with you in the chain there is one on the other end of the chain Jesus knows what you're facing. You'll not be exempt from trouble, but you'll not be alone in trouble. Praise God. Eat the bread. Eat the bread. And you'll have somebody with you all the way. How that the others would be lonely when all their friends are gone. My Lord is ever standing by my side. There is a heavy load upon me. rejoice and counted joy that we were counted worthy to suffer in His sweet name. That's what the apostles did. The one who heard the ones who heard him say, "I am the bread of life." And when others left, they said, "Lord, Jesus said, will you also go away?" That's the end of this chapter. They said, "Where, where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life." That crowd that stayed when everybody else left, when they suffered, they didn't say, "Oh, why me? You're mistreating me, Lord." Instead, they counted it worthy. How they rejoiced and counted it. How wonderful that the Lord counted them worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. These are the men who prayed at midnight and rejoiced in Jesus. These are the men who had power to turn the world upside down. My friend, we do not do what we do through Christ because we have better times than everybody else. Not because we have a better God than anybody else. We don't accomplish what we do because we have more finances and more wealth than anyone else. Not because we have a greater companion, and houses and lands and stocks and bonds which took quite a dive this week. All it takes is a Chinese virus so small you'd have to have a microscope to wipe out your 401k and to mess up all your wealth. But I'm telling you lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not come out and where thieves cannot break through and steal and where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Be rich in the things toward God. Receive the bread. Morning and eat of him. 
Philippians 3 and 10, Paul says that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. Everybody wants that. Power, power, power. But he said, I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection and in the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. What I want to be is perfect in Christ, as surely as He was in His death. I want to be that in my life. And I know it cannot be accomplished in me by God without suffering in my life. And so I will receive the bread communal it is common it is crucial it is communal number four and I'm finished but this is the most important one so don't go to sleep on me yet Christ is the bread Christ is the bread common crucial communal it's Christ that is the bread if the bread we were preaching about this morning was sunbeam if the bread was something that was a little red wafer that the priest put on your tongue by the way I saw many this last week, let me preach parenthetically just a minute. I saw on the news last week how that they were concerned about in Italy the cases diagnosed of this coronavirus or COVID, whatever you want to call it, you know. They were worried about that, and so at the St. Peter's Square, when they would begin to give out bread and so forth for the Lord's Supper there for their their time of fellowship and their time of communion, usually the priest would take the bread and put it right there. Right there on your tongue. And they said they've gotten a, a direction from the Pope that it's acceptable now. I put in the hand of bread to the person and let them put it in their own mouth. I'm going to tell you as far as I'm concerned, that's always been acceptable. Unless you happen to be one of my offspring, I'm not going to put the bread in your mouth for you. Amen. That's exactly right. And when it comes right down to it spiritually, it's the same thing. As a preacher, man, I can't shove it down your throat. I can't make you receive the bread of life. I can set the table. I can serve the bread. But if you won't receive it, you'll die in your sins. If you won't take the prize, you'll die lost. If you will not accept the bread, you can't go to heaven when you die. I cannot make you receive it. We could prize your mouth open and shove it down your throat. But it wouldn't make you a Christian. You're going to have to gladly, willingly accept the bread of heaven or else you'll never know Jesus. Amen. This bread was Christ. Heaven's bread is not, my friend, a purchase. It is a person. Heaven's bread is a power. Heaven's bread paid a price. Jesus uses some illustrations in this chapter to show Himself as heaven's bread. The first part of chapter number 6 of our text this morning tells us about that little lad with a little lunch that made a large miracle. 5,000 men plus women and children. And they said, Oh, if we had 200 pennies worth of bread, what would it be among so many? But Jesus told them, why don't you give them to eat? Oh, but listen, this the Bible said He did to prove Him, for He Himself knew what He would do. Jesus knew before the crowd ever showed up that He would feed them. He knew that they didn't have enough to feed them. He knew He would multiply the bread and feed them. He knew what He would do. Hallelujah. Jesus knew this illustration of the miracle of the five loaves and two fishes to present a type of himself. Y'all remember that word type from Sunday school this morning? To present a type of himself. He has shown caring for the multitude, providing for the multitude, satisfying the multitude. The implication is that Jesus, like the physical loaves and fishes, is sufficient for the need of mankind. Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. And the Bible 
Bible says that every man took all they needed after they had filled themselves. They took up twelve basketfuls, have abundance that was left over. What I'm saying to you this morning is, however great your need is, Jesus can fill it. He's more than adequate. He's more than enough. He knows how to fill the need of your life. He knows how to fill the empty places down on the inside. He knows how to make you full and flowing over. Press, shaking down, running over. He knows how to make your cup overflow. My wife doesn't much care for the song, but it's still in there and it's still a good song whether my wife cares for it or not. Drinking from my saucer because my cup has overflown. The scripture said he makes my cup run over. Amen. There is more than enough. There is more than adequacy. There is more than what you need in the Lord Jesus Christ. The miracle shows us the bread. Then he uses another illustration. The manna that shows us the bread in verses 30 through 33. The disciples said, show us a miracle. If you'll show us a sign, then we'll believe you. And if you'll show us a miracle the way Moses showed a miracle. You know, Moses, he's the type. If you show us a miracle the way Moses showed a miracle, Moses showed a miracle by sending bread down from heaven. They had manna. Now it's amazing how revisionist we get with our history. These are children of Israel acting like they all loved that manna from heaven. And yet while their forefathers who ate the manna were in the wilderness, their forefathers said, we loathe this light bread. We hate this stuff. We can't stand it. We want flesh is what we want. We want meat. We want something to fill our bellies with meat. Oh my, my. And now their descendants are acting like grandpa and grandma just always loved that bread. That bread was just the best time. And if you were good as Moses, you'd give us some of that bread. Show us the sign. Make bread fall out of heaven. And Jesus says, don't you understand? I am the bread that came out of heaven. I am the bread that came from heaven to earth. And I'm not manna. And the wilderness, I am forever bread. I am everlasting bread. And the fulfillment manna was the type. I am the anti-type. Manna was the illustration. I am the real thing. Manna was the picture. I am the reality. His name, Christ, has shows them those of that manna in the wilderness. And Christ's response was to tell them Moses was not responsible for the manna I was. And not only that, I am the source of the manna, and I am the everlasting manna. And if you'll eat of me, you won't even need any manna. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, but they died. But if you eat of me, you'll never die. I'm better than the manna. I'm better than Moses. I'm greater than Joshua. I'm greater than Solomon. I'm greater than Jonas. He said, I'm greater than the temple. Matthew chapter 12. I got this whole other sermon. I'm greater than the temple. I'm greater than Solomon. I'm greater than Jonas. And I am here. I am the bread of life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now the man when it came, it told us about Jesus. Y'all listen to me. I ain't got but eight points on this. So y'all listen real quick. Got to run through them. These are sub-points of sub-points. This is where we get into where there's only four things, a few things about those things. Y'all got the front seat on a good week, didn't you? The manna tells us about Jesus in that it's small. 
Exodus 6 and 14 said it was a small, like a small coriander seed is what the scripture says. This speaks of Christ's humility. He wasn't born in a king's palace but in a manger. He never employed riches but he lived a poor life all the time he was in this earth. He came in this way to identify himself with the same sinners that he came to save. Amen. You see I'm poor and needy yet the Lord thinketh upon me. I'm small and little but praise God he came to relate to little people like us. To common, ordinary people like us. He didn't just come for the up and in. He came for the down and out. He came for the sinner. He came for the meek and lowly. My friend, the first announcement of Christ's birth was not in the palaces or in the halls of great renown. It was not in the universities. My friend, of the schools of high learning. But it was in a field where there were shepherds keeping their flock by night. It shows his humility. The bread was small the man in the wilderness not only was it small but it was round the Bible says that was round that shows us Jesus as well this speaks of Christ's eternal nature Jesus is the son of God the circle around the manna had no beginning and no ending there was no starting point no ending point Jesus is eternal and forever he always has been and he always will be my friend there's never been a time when Jesus was not and there will never be a time when Jesus is not. But all time, every time, all the time, He is the I Am. It was small, it was round, and it was white. Amen. Exodus 16.31 calls us like white, like a coriander seed. And my friend, this reminds us of the sinless, holy, unspotted, perfect nature and behavior of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was born without sin. He lived without sin. He died without sin and rose again without sin and went to heaven my friend without sin. He was absolutely impeccable in his character. Jesus is the sinless, spotless Son of God. And he said, I am the bread. That manna was not only small and round and white, but that manna came at night. Exodus 16 verses 13 and 14 said that overnight the manna would fall bread out of heaven. And the next morning they would find it upon the ground and collect all that they needed that day and everything that they needed would be found for them that day could not get more than one day's worth or else it would set up get worms and sting you had to trust God to send bread every single day for them but it would come at night when they were worried when they were afraid when it was dark and they could not see God would send my friend bread at night in the darkness of this whole world and Jesus came to a world lost in spiritual darkness and he gave us light and life this bread is like Jesus in that it was misunderstood by those that found it when they saw it in Exodus chapter number 16 and verse 15 they looked at it and said this is manna now we think that's wow what a great title what a great blessing what a great word all that manna means is what is it you know what they said when they saw that man on the ground. They said, well, this is uh, I don't know what it is. What is it? That's what a man means. What is it? All year long, 40 years every day, they ate what is it? They ate the, unexpl- the inexplicable. They ate the unexplained, the undefined. 40 years they ate it and they still couldn't tell you what it was. 40 years they ate it and they still couldn't figure it out. All they knew was they had a full belly. All they knew was that they had a nurse for their bodies. All they knew was 
everything about Jesus. I don't know every answer to every question. I've got more questions than what i got answers. What I do know, He feeds my hungry soul. What I do know, He meets my every need. What I do know is He answers my prayers. What I do know, He gives me what I need in my life. What I do know, He makes me feel loved and blessed. And hallelujah, He lets me know I'm special to Him. When I was a little boy, the old preachers used to tell the illustration about the little boy who was barefooted and hungry and uh, lost and couldn't find his way home. And there's a sweet little Christian woman took him into her house and she said, look, it's dark and it's raining and we'll figure out how to get you home on tomorrow. She said, but I'll take you in tonight. And she said, we'll figure out what to do on tomorrow. She took him in and said, set him down in front of the fireplace. And she said, uh, he said, ma'am, says, why are you doing all of this? She said, oh, because of this sweet black book here. And she said, I want to show you my favorite verse in it. And she opened the Bible to John 3.16. And she read to him John 3.16 and said, do you understand that verse? He said, no, ma'am, I don't understand it. She said, that's all right. You'll understand in time. And she sat him there beside the fireplace, brought him some clothes to put on, and made him some warm food. Set some soup, some warm soup and bread on the table. And a big old tall cold glass of milk to drink. And she got him dry, got him warm. Set him at the table and took that book and opened it back up again. And she read that verse and said, do you understand now? He said, no ma'am, I don't understand. I don't understand, John 3.16. And she began to tell him about how Jesus loved him and how much she loved him and how much she cared about him. And she said, now do you understand? He said, I don't really understand. He said, this is what I know. John 3.16 makes a cold boy mighty warm. John 3.16 makes a wet boy very dry. John 3.16 makes a hungry boy very full. John 3.16 makes a boy that's not ever been loved feel loved. John 3.16 Sometimes I try to tell what Jesus means to me. And I find myself searching for words to say just what I mean. I never can quite describe, hallelujah, how good He's been to me. Oh, but I know just what I need. That's just what He is. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Misunderstood by those that found it. The manna, it was sufficient for every need. They were fed by it. They were nourished by it. It got everything in them that they needed. The manna, it was like Jesus in that it was sweet to the taste. They said like a coriander seed flavored with honey. In Exodus 16 and 31, those who partook of the manna found it sweet and satisfied. It was to be kept and passed on to others is what he said. Said the Lord told Moses to take up a little and put it in a pot. And said, put that pot. Exodus 16.32, put that pot in the Ark of the Covenant. 
And in the days to come, when your children ask you what is it, you tell them about how God supplied that bread in the wilderness. Oh, Jesus is the same way. He's to be shared with future generations. But those that do not know Him, all of those who are asking what is it, I'm glad we can say it's Jesus. What is it makes you want to go to church on Sunday? It's Jesus. What is it makes you read that Bible and love it? It's Jesus. What is it makes you love your neighbor? It's Jesus. What is it gives you confidence for the future? It's Jesus. What is it that makes you know God will take care of your family? It is Jesus. What is it that makes you happy when the sun's not shining? It is Jesus. What is it that causes you to shout hallelujah? It is Jesus. Amen. What is it makes you want to live right, do right? that he's the bread and the miracle and the manna. He shows them the master and how he's the bread. And I'm closing with this in verse 52. He begins to tell them, a man ate bread from the wilderness and they died. But he said, if you're going to eat this bread that come down from heaven, which is me, you'll live forever. I am the living bread. And then he says, the bread I will give is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. And they said, how are we going to eat this man's flesh? Some confused fellows. But he goes on to tell them in verse 58. Look at that verse if you still got your Bibles open. Jesus says, This is that bread which came down from heaven. When he says this, he's talking about himself. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Now look at the next phrase. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. You know how they ate manna? Say something real profound so y'all listen close. You know how they ate manna? Same way you eat everything else. They put it in their mouth, chewed it up, and swallowed it. I told you I was going to say something profound. (laughs) Jesus said, This bread that came from heaven, you're not going to eat it like they ate manna. Not as they ate manna from heaven. Y'all don't start chewing on me yet. Don't start biting me yet. That's not how you eat this bread. You don't eat this bread the same way that that man came down. No. Your fathers ate that bread and they died. But if you'll eat this bread, you'll live. Now, how are you supposed to eat it? We do still eat the bread, but it is not natural bread. And it's not intended to feed the natural man. And it's not so the natural man can live. They ate manna to feed the natural man. They ate manna so the natural man would live. But when Jesus said, you don't eat this bread the way your fathers ate it, that is, it's not for your natural man. You don't eat it naturally. It doesn't feed you naturally. And you won't live naturally. It is all for your spirit man. Here is that you might receive the end of your spirit man. That your spirit man might live. That you might receive the end of your spirit. Now, to eat the manna, they had to receive it into their body. To eat this heavenly bread Jesus is talking about, you don't receive it into your body. You receive it into your soul. That is, you must receive me. It's not the same as eating that. Uh, this man on the outside can't do it. This carnal man can't know it. This outward man does not have it. 
where you receive Christ is on the inner man, on the inside. That's where it is that you receive this bread from heaven. Hey, you don't have to eat the bread on the inside. All he's simply saying is this. If you will not receive Christ into your life, you can never be saved. If you'll not receive Jesus, how about then you'll never be saved. You can come to the table and look at the bread, but if you won't eat it, you'll go hungry. You can come to the church and listen to the message, but if you won't receive Christ, your soul will be in The inner man, you must receive the bread. Oh, I'm so thankful for the night when I received Jesus into my life. I know salvation is more than just receiving Jesus. It's also Him receiving you. I'm thankful for that. But I'm thankful that I received Christ into my life. Not eaten as manna, but it is received in us. It's received with Christ. Receiving Christ within. And he said, if you partake of this, you'll live forever. His guarantee is that you'll never die. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm finished preaching. Come with us on, please. The Word of God calls for us to taste and see, Psalm 34 and 8, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Here a while back we were somewhere, I don't remember where we were out of town, touristy area, you know, I mean, they had food everywhere. I mean, it was... It was wonderful. And uh, I ate till I couldn't hardly waddle back home. And there was a bakery of sorts there, and they showed you how they were making the bread, and you could tour the bakery and eat samples while you were there. And uh, then, of course, they tried to sell you something before you left. But it was interesting to watch all the mechanisms of the bakery. It was interesting to watch all the ways that they made the bread and that the bread was created and baked and cooked and prepared. And to see it as it would float or be lifted up, those rakes or racks of bread, they'd lift them up and they had it on a timing system in that oven. And the conveyors, almost like a, almost like in the Krispy Kreme or something or other, you know, watching those donuts go through the machines. And as they lifted those breads, the breads up in the oven and then down again, and while they were doing that, another machine was over there kneading dough and putting dough on the new rack, and it would go through the system. Quite interesting to watch. You could go in there and watch them do all of those things, smell the bread cooking. Matter of fact, you could smell that bread cooking all over that entire area through there. We sat down at the snack bar and got us a little bit of something to eat, and you could smell that bread. That's all you could smell was bread. I mean, it was deliciously smelling stuff. Wonderful. And I thought, as I stood outside, wondered how much they want for that bread. How much is it going to cost? Are they going to charge me to take the tour? And I didn't take the tour because I'm a tightwad. And I didn't buy any of that bread because I didn't want to spend enough money to pay for it. And I stood outside looking in the window and watching it go through the machines. And I wiped the slobber off my mouth. And I watched the bread and I smelled it. It's quite exp- I see it right now. I know where we were. We were in Disneyland in California. California Adventures. 
in Disneyland. And went out there with it. It was a replica of the Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco. I remember sourdough bread. I can see it in my mind's eye right now, like I'm still standing there. Bread. Ah, so what a smell! That bread, bacon, and cooking. I stood right there and watched the whole thing. I examined the entire process. I smelled it until I got to where I couldn't recognize the smell anymore. I went in the candle shop next door and I come back out because sense it again. Went back over there and stood and looked in the window and smelled some more. But everything cost the king's ransom in there and I'd already had enough to eat. What I'm saying to you is I never got a bite of it. I can tell you everything about it. But I never received a bite. I know what it smells like. I know what it looks like. I know how they make it. I know where to find it. But I never got a bite. Is anybody listening to me this morning? Some of you sitting on the pew. You come to church. You hear the preaching. You read the Bible. You listen to singing. And it's just like me standing in front of that window salivating over that bread. You've smelled it. You've seen it. You've listened to the sounds salivating with desire for God to do something in your life. But if you will not receive this bread, you'll go hungry and die lost. You'll remain without the Lord Jesus Christ. It is essential for you to receive the bread into your life. Some of you this morning that are here, you need to be saved. You need Christ to save your soul today. It is as simple as receiving bread. And I've got news for you. Whether you'll have it or not, it's on the table. It's on the table. If you are waiting for Jesus to come from heaven, prize your mouth open and put the bread on your tongue, it's not going to happen. But if you'll hear the Master call it, there is a table spread where the saints of God are fed. And He calleth to His children, come and die. This morning, some of you sat there and smelled the bread so many times, it's ridiculous. I've watched you as you wept and cried and hold on to the pews. Some of you have even come to the altar and turned around and gone back to your seats. When all you really need to do is do what Jesus said in the book of Psalms. Open your mouth and He'll fill it. Receive Christ into your life. Just as, listen, they tell me there's a place somewhere in Florida, where Randy, you've been, I believe, where they throw the rolls at you. You want to roll this? Oh, man. If I could, I'd do just that this morning. Don't you eat bread? I'd just grab a roll and throw it at you. That's not the way of God. It's not the way of God. The way of God is for you to make it available for you. And then you'll receive it or refuse it on the merit of the gospel. And I beg you this morning to take the bread. I'll preach with the Lord to fill my heart. Stay with us, please. Sing for us when you're ready. If you need to pray this morning, I've tried to be obedient to the Lord. I hope I've made a little bit of sense this morning. I've tried. My mind goes in a million directions while I'm trying to preach sometimes. But I've tried to preach to you the gospel. I hope that you've received the message. If you need to pray, you obey the Lord. Sing for us. this morning 
Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you receive of Him, you'll eat and live.